0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Voices from the Pews, the show that invites you to conversations with Catholics of color and those from communities of non-European origin so that we can get to know more about each other's faith, experiences, and stories. I'm your host, Lorna DeRose. Apologies for the delayed episode release, life has been a bit busy, but I am truly grateful for your ongoing support of the show. Is there a topic that you'd like to hear on Voices from the Pews? Send an email to VoicesFromThePewsPodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 617-682-0885. Today's conversation is with Kimberly Perez a licensed mental health counselor and founder of the Divine Mercy Healing and Counseling Center. We learn about how she found her calling to be a mental health professional and how her faith informs her vocation as a therapist. Our conversation touches upon various topics such as the importance of mental wellness and the stigma surrounding mental health in communities of color. Sadly, this stigma often compels many to keep quiet about their struggles. Just a quick content note, there is a brief discussion of trauma and suicide as a part of this episode. So if this is a topic that you are not comfortable with at this time, please feel free to fast forward during that part of the conversation. I hope you enjoy listening. It is a pleasure to have Kimberly Perez, who is a licensed mental health counselor who is in private practice in South Florida. Kimberly, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us.
1: Hi, Lorna. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very excited to be with you here.
0: Yeah, Thank you. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? And a little bit about your faith journey.
1: Well, primarily, I identify myself as a daughter of the Most High King. And that is the core of of who I see myself as. I am a work in progress, just striving to love like Jesus. My faith journey, I would say, began when I was about six, seven years old. Cradle Catholic, baptized as an infant. My mother and father are from the Dominican Republic. In our home, we often prayed the rosary. My dad, every night before I would go to bed, he would make sure that, you know, I would say my prayers. But I would say my relationship with Jesus and Mary truly grew into intimacy when I was in middle school.
0: Jesus through Mary. Now, was there someone that introduced you to, to this particular devotion, or was it just through praying uh, that you felt led by Mary to Jesus?
1: Yeah. So, my father's mother was very devoted to the rosary. So, when she would visit from the Dominican Republic, I always saw her with a rosary in her hand. So, she would pray all the mysteries every day sometimes even twice. (laughs) She was always, always praying the rosary. So it was something I was accustomed to seeing. And then in middle school, um, my cousins, they would share with me that every Friday night they would have a rosary at their house and it was open to the community. And so they would also begin to talk to me about Fatima, and lords and how our lady was so very present with us today mm-hmm. and that's actually what sparked my interest in our lady i almost became obsessed with apparitions and, and learning more about her and i remember my spare time that's what i would do online i would look up story, you know mm-hmm. stories about fatima and lords and even Garabandal, I know that it's not fully yet approved by the church. Right. right.
0: And that's beautiful that it was your grandmother. I always mm-hmm. feel like grandmothers have this special way of passing on the faith to us. And it's not to say that our parents don't, but there's a gentleness and a wisdom that they have. I remember my grandmother as well. Um, She would always have the rosary. If it wasn't in her hands, it was in her pocket.
1: Yes, Yes, and and that's such a huge influence on, on us when we're little, seeing that.
0: And so as you continue to grow and do research and, you know, become a teenager and young adult, how did your faith journey continue?
1: Prayer was a big part of my life and mainly interior prayer when I was in school, middle school, high school, I remember I would, as I would walk the hallways and I'd see the faces, you know, I would just pray for the people and and, and Mary seems like that person's having a bad day. And I would just ask for her help. Certainly my life was not perfect. You know, I, I experienced the usual teenage ups and downs and you know, wanting to belong and and fit in. But even in those moments of aloneness, I was always very drawn to the passion of Christ. So the sorrowful mysteries were my favorite. Um so whenever I felt lonely, I would try to stay there and remain with, with him and, and his aloneness as well.
0: That's beautiful because I think sometimes when we're going through moments of suffering and difficulty It's always important for us to remember that Jesus, he knows what it's like to suffer. And not only just on the cross, but just day-to-day emotions. So um, bringing those emotions, bringing those situations and praying through the mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, I think that's such a powerful way to, to share that with him and with his mother.
1: Yeah. It's hard to sometimes for for people to remember that Jesus became one of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He felt sadness. He felt agony. He felt despair. And in those moments, St. Teresa of Avila talks about this and how when we suffer, it's almost as if it's it's an invitation into his own humanity. It's it's like Jesus is visiting you in that moment mm-hmm. of suffering, and you in turn can accompany him in his suffering as well.
0: I really appreciate you expressing that through the words of Saint Teresa of Avila yeah. as you got older and continued on with schooling, how did you happen upon the decision to become a therapist or a mental health counselor?
1: The desire to be a therapist began when I was in middle school, actually. I was very timid, very quiet. But in spite of that, I would encounter often people would just start talking to me Mm -hmm. about their life, issues they were having, and I would just listen. I was never much of a talker, I was more of a listener. I always enjoyed listening to stories, listening to where people have been, where they're going, and I enjoyed sitting with people and their stories. It never weighed heavy on me. I wasn't seeking to help others. It wasn't something I was looking for. But it kind of just fell on my lap. And I thought one day, you know what? I think it would be really neat to actually do this for a living.
0: And it sounds like you are a very good listener for people to feel comfortable to come to you at that age and feel comfortable to share what they were going through or their life story with you. It sounds like they saw that or they understood and knew that you were a very good listener.
1: And again, you know, it's it's all Jesus. Yes. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. anything good in us is is just pure grace.
0: And as you became a counselor and and I know that you're a very faith filled woman and you depend on Jesus and Mary is a mother, our mother. How has that influenced the way in which you practice?
1: Well, it is definitely the center of everything. I would say drawing more and more to the sacraments, it's, it's led me to realize that if I don't nourish my prayer life and my sacramental life, I will always be lacking. As much as I can, I try to go to Mass in the mornings before I begin my day. And I always offer the Mass for the clients I'm going to see, either that day or in the future, the ones I've seen before. Always, always, always I present them. And I think that makes a huge difference. And praying before they come in, there are times I'm, I'm totally human. There are moments when I say, Jesus, I'm not sure what you want me to do here. <laughs> I need your help. So entrusting them prior to their session, entrusting them to Our Lady, and also inviting them if they're open and they're a Catholic, praying Before we start our session, inviting the Holy Spirit.
0: That sounds like such a wonderful way to begin a counseling session, inviting Jesus into that space. I feel like, you know, no matter what happens, you know, on the human level, but we're, you know, we're inviting Jesus into that and allowing him to be part of that conversation that you're having.
1: Yeah, because really, it's it's not just myself and that individual. It's mm-hmm. it's three of us. Okay. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit, that person, and me. And and again, you know, even though I overtly say that I am a Catholic therapist, not all of my clients are Catholic or even Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are questioning: Does God even exist? Mm. Um, that doesn't mean I can't still pray for them.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> beforehand. Um and you still it's amazing how you see divine mercy at work.
0: And Jesus is always there offering us his grace, his love, his mercy. But it's us that we have to open our hearts to say yes to that.
1: Absolutely cooperating with
0: cooperating with the grace. Yes, Thinking about some of the people that you have had the opportunity to work with, some of them have dealt with much trauma in their lives. Um, And so definitely prayer is warranted um, when you have someone who has dealt with that much. How did you decide that this was an aspect of counseling that you'd like to specialize in?
1: I originally did not think I was going to focus on trauma. Mm -hmm. My biggest passion for the longest time was suicide prevention. I was very drawn to help others that were in complete darkness. Mm -hmm. So I was working at a rape crisis center in the evenings, um, slash child advocacy center, Simultaneously, at the same time when I was doing my internship as a grad student at a psychiatric hospital. So what I began to notice was most of these individuals that were being admitted inpatient had extensive histories of trauma, emotional neglect, sexual abuse, domestic Mm -hmm. violence. So... I said to myself, you know what? Maybe this is where I'm being led. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I never planned on working with sexual assault survivors, but seeing those both worlds and how it just it just clicked for me. You know, suicide is a symptom of this root problem of somewhere somehow that person began to feel like they didn't matter right that they weren't enough that they weren't worthwhile
0: i'm glad you described suicide as being a symptom of a person feeling like they don't matter or they are not seen or, or known or loved because i think a lot of times people see it as its own um i don't know what the exact word would be here but its own particular thing but they don't see that that person who may be having suicidal ideation it's Mm -hmm. perhaps a symptom of depression a symptom of being Mm -hmm. traumatized
1: exactly and Oftentimes, sadly, it's too late, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned, um, with it being a symptom, oftentimes you'll hear people say, Oh, this person committed suicide yes. as if it was a crime. Mm-hmm. Right? But no, you know, we wanna say they died by suicide. They died from something, which is like you mentioned, they died from depression, committing would insinuate something so far from from right. what was right. really going on so. right
0: there's no criminal intent here it's someone yeah. seeking help and suffering and mm-hmm. not knowing how you know basically they've reached a point where they don't know how else to to mm-hmm. seek the help
1: mm-hmm.
0: Thinking about, I'm, I'm just considering the, the many cases you may have seen in regards to trauma, depression, and, and these are things that so many in our society are going through today. It's almost at an epidemic level to the point that uh, the Surgeon General has said that loneliness is now an epidemic within our society today. And I'm sure that contributes to a lot of the symptoms that you see within your practice.
1: Absolutely, loneliness is a huge problem, especially among our our young young adults in their twenties. Um, everyone's so connected, you know, so connected on all of these platforms and, but they're more disconnected than ever. Mm -hmm. I often see young adults and and teenagers as well, struggling in not knowing how to interact in Mm -hmm. real life.
0: How does that play out and how do you encourage them to learn, to make person to person connections?
1: I encourage them to take a risk in getting out of that comfort zone, which is a lot easier said than done. I'll look into their interests, things they've always maybe thought about doing, but have been terrified or scared or nervous. Mm -hmm. And I'll encourage them, okay, you've always wanted to play soccer let's check online and see if the YMCA has, you know, a team that you can join. And I just try to encourage them to be a part of community. And if they're afraid to do something in real life, we'll begin with virtual. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll try to connect them to a virtual support group, Mm -hmm. but eventually I would like to wean them off of screens to human to human interaction.
0: I think that's a lesson for all of us because I think our phones and our devices are such a part of our lives that even if that's not something that you grew up with in the way it is now, it, you're right, it it can become so comfortable to lean into that for interaction as opposed to sitting down at table and eating with family or you know talking with your friends as opposed to just sending an emoji
1: right it's unavoidable a lot of individuals have to check their emails within a certain time frame and even even if they desire to step away from that obligations are, are, are requiring them to do so, especially with you know the kids at school. Some of them don't even have textbooks.
0: Right. And even, let's say, for example, if you're looking at college age, uh, graduate school, you're submitting a lot of your assignments online. There's a lot of class discussion that's happening online, not only in the classroom so it it really has become an important part of the way we live but helping them to learn how to find that balance that's quite a challenge
1: it certainly is but my when they realize when they get that breath of fresh air and see the trees and see the birds and they they themselves want to disconnect and get off the platforms and and start living, really living their life in community. Because we're not we're not meant to live this life alone.
0: Right. I think that's one of the teachings of John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, and the theology of the body. It's one of the first things that you read that is crucial that God did not create us to be isolated beings. He created us to be in community with one another and with him.
1: Yes. Yes. We were meant to live in in communion with each other.
0: Right. Thinking about being in communion and learning how to be in communion with one another. I think in some communities, some people find it difficult to seek help when they are going through challenges or traumatic situations or you know family strife because in some cases they feel there's a stigma within their community there's a shamefulness i'm not crazy there's you know that that may be something that people will say and i think i i see this and you know I, i think this happens a lot in communities of color because you know it's okay you know what Keep moving, you know, I'm not crazy. I just need to keep moving on.
1: In our communities of color, mental health is not talked about. Mm. It's as if it didn't even exist. And when you do mention I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling depressed. I, I find it hard to go to work or go to school. You're typically going to encounter a lot of pushback. Oh, are, are, aren't you praying or... Or if you believe in God, you you shouldn't feel sad. you have you have a roof over your head, you have food, you have a vehicle. what are you what are you what are you sad about? Our, our communities of color are are very loving and full of love and full of heart, so much so that it's hard to see, that sadness can can trickle in. With those communities, Oftentimes it's hard to reach out, so it's helpful to meet the people where they are, where they frequent, you know, if there are certain groups that are catered to certain cultures, getting to know the people and putting a face to what a therapist looks like, what a counselor is like, oh, they're they're normal.
0: Mm, They're people.
1: They're people. Yeah, they're people too.
0: I think the thing that we have to come to terms with in in many cases is to understand that the doctors, the counselors are there and that we were praying for a healing, but that may be how God is choosing for the healing to happen is through those people, these professionals who... He's given the the heart to serve in that way.
1: Reminds me of, of that um, story of the man that was sinking and he was praying to God, God, help me. And so God sent him a boat, sent him a hol- helicopter. And he, he would just continue to say, no, you know, I'm praying to God. God's going to help me. <laughs> and then... When he finally meets God face to face after he dies, you know, God, where were you? Well, I I sent you the boat. I sent you the helicopter, you know, um, so his help comes in many forms.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's important to think about, yes, it's important to pray the novenas. Absolutely. It's important to pray the rosary and go to adoration and just pour out your heart to the lord and listen for his heart but also it's important to have the counselor um, and if you know you have the possibility a spiritual director as well um, those are just an important part of the healing process for many absolutely and when i'm thinking about counseling and we're we've just started talking about communities of color for some people, when they're talking about the trauma that they've experienced, race can play a part within that trauma of that traumatic experience. How how do you talk to someone about this who comes to you with that experience?
1: Interestingly enough, oftentimes the client will bring it up. If they're immigrants, they they usually see my last name, and then they say, "Okay, you know, she <laughs> she's a minority." Mm-hmm. So I I find you know sometimes people will just bring it up. Oh, you know how it, you know they 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 feel they they can share with me, but other times you know some won't, and if I find that it's it's relevant, I'll I'll bring it up. Okay, so what is it like for you? to be in a school where you're the only Jamaican at the school or the only Venezuelan at the school and and validate their experience and 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 letting them know that that I see them and i I know it's hard and and I commend them on their courage for being brave. sometimes all they need is 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 to be seen and validated
0: yeah that validation. And go a long way towards the road to
1: healing. So there have been, on occasion, I worked out in a rural community Mm -hmm. a while back, primarily farm workers. Mm -hmm. A lot of the kids, you know, were home alone. Parents, no fault of their own. They have to work and, and feed the kids. And, and they would, you know, I'm, my family's from the Dominican Republic and we come in in all shades and colors. Yes. Um, so at times, you know, if, if there was someone of of color and they would see me with with light skin, um, sometimes they would think, well, how do you know? You know, you don't have to deal with walking into a room and and looking differently than than other people. Um but I said, "Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't have the same color as you, but just like you, I've felt sadness and just right. like you, I've felt pain <laughs> and suffering." You know, and and then slowly I'll say, "You know, guess what? You know, my my family is, you know, of a cultural background, but you know, we all look different." Right. And um so sometimes it will be the other way around. They they'll there have been occasions where, you know, they could be hesitant because of what my skin color looks like. Sure. Um, and I remind them, you know, we all have the same heart. We all feel the same things. Yeah. Suffering has no color. Yes. Yes. So do you have
0: a particular prayer that you find yourself drawn to?
1: Yes. There was one that I used to pray. So in 2007, um, I actually discerned out of the Missionaries of Charity. Um, Mother Teresa had found it. So there was a prayer um, in our prayer book. Um, It wasn't written by her. It was written by Cardinal Newman. So it begins by saying, Dear Jesus, help me to spread your fragrance wherever I go. Flood my soul with your spirit and life. Penetrate and possess my whole being so utterly that my life may only be a radiance of yours. Shine through me and be so in me that every soul I come in contact with may feel your presence in my soul. Let them look up and see no longer me, but only Jesus. Um, so that's the beginning of the prayer. So, Mother Teresa, one of her favorite books was One with Jesus Christ. I believe Father Jaker was his name. I think so, yes. And yeah, and so striving to be one with Christ. So it's a reminder of my poverty. Because in our poverty, just like You know, the nativity, the middle of the cows and and pigs and horses and Mm -hmm. the least likely of places, the more the poorest of the poorest places, the light of the world was born. Yes. So it's a reminder to myself that the more I lack, the weaker that I am, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the more I realize I'm nothing the more space I have to fill myself with him because essentially I don't want to draw anybody near to anyone but him
0: right Mm -hmm.
1: so like in my office I purposely have my seat lower than my client
0: that's an interesting way to do that Because usually it's probably your face-to-face. Yeah. Think about that. And having that
1: perspective helps you to remember? Yeah. Remember who I am and and who he is. And that really inviting him to be the one to meet with my client and not me. And when, when it is me... That thinks (laughs) that I'm doing any healing or any care, then I'm in deep trouble. (laughs) Because then that will lead to utter despair. Because if we think we're alone, everything is hopeless.
0: Well, I am so grateful that you're out there serving the Lord by helping so many who are in need. Um, and I think you you're you're helping us to remember that even in our weak, it's you know, St. Paul says this too, mm-hmm. you know, though I am weak, I am strong. So in our weakness, Christ is our strength.
1: His grace abounds.
0: Kimberly, it's been such a joy to speak to you today. And if someone would like to reach out. How could they do that?
1: Sure, and, it, and it's been a joy to be with you too, Lorna. Um, if anyone would like to reach out to me, they can visit my website at DivineMercyHealingCounseling.com and they can click contact. And they can send me an email through there and I would be more than happy to connect.
0: Wonderful. Kimberly Perez, thank you so much for being with us today. And God bless you in your ministry. And I won't even call it a practice. I'm calling it a ministry.
1: (laughs) Praise God. Thank you so much, Lorna. Thank Thank you for what you are doing as well and, and for being a light for Christ.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Kimberly Perez about how her faith in Christ informs the way in which she sees her role as a mental health counselor and the way in which she sees and cares for her patience. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Voices from the Pews. Looking forward to being with you in two weeks for our next episode. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Pews. Produced by Lorna DeRose. Audio editing and post-production by Bryn Lee. Music composed and performed by André Lui. Social media presence boosted by Jacqueline Brunage. May God bless and keep you until next time.